one of the things that was really frustrating to me is I would go in and, and talk to them about legislation that we would coming up and they would say, well, you're a nurse. Don't you need a doctor to tell you what to do? And, you know, you, you can't explode in that situation. You know, you have to try and maintain some sort of composure. And, and driving home, listening to a podcast, I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if we had a podcast that talked about nurses and nursing and what it is that we do? And then I could say to legislators, hey, why don't you listen to this? Why don't you listen to that? So uh, I said to Marion, hey, I have a great idea for this thing that you should do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, sure, if you do it with me. <laughs> yeah. Marion was like, I have this list of 85 things that I'm already doing. Um, so, so I said, sure, you know, I think if we do it together, it could be fine. And uh, It'd be fine. Yeah, it was great. So, and it's been it's been fun, and it's been an amazing project, and we've been really, really lucky to talk to some really amazing nurses doing really, really cool stuff. And I think that we've stuck to the mission of the podcast, which is to, you know, elevate the work that nurses are doing and making sure that people really have an opportunity to see the really cool things that nurses do. Hello everyone, I'm Angela Rosa DiDonato. And I'm Marian Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. On our first episode of Season 8 of the Amplify Nursing Podcast, we kick off with a live recording from this past June as part of the Penn Nursing Summer Innovation Institute. During this live event, which was so much fun to record, as you'll hear, we discussed with our audience the need for senior nurse leaders and health systems to embrace and support innovation, the individual and organizational traits that make a nurse more innovative, and we reveal the origin story of the Amplify Nursing podcast. This was a very fun episode to record. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, Angela. Hello, Marion. How's it going? It's amazing. That's great. We are here at the study in University City doing one of, I think, is our first in-person live podcast episodes. We've done this virtually live for the Bee Philly Innovation Festival, I think in 2020. Yeah. And we all know what was going on then, and so we had to do it virtually. We've done a couple live podcasting events where we were interviewing like random students and folks at some school events. But I think this is our first live podcast episode recording. So I'm super excited about it. And it all started because this week uh, we are hosting the Penn Nursing Summer Innovation Institute, which is a collaboration of Penn Nursing, Penn4C, Eidos, Hope Lab, and the Johnson Johnson Nurse Innovation Fellowship Program. And it's been amazing. We have a lot of those folks here today, and it's giving us this opportunity to do this live. And I do want to thank the study for having us, so thank you to the study for the food and beverage and providing the space. Yeah. Yeah, we couldn't do it without them. 
<laughs> we could not. We'd be outside in the rain. <laughs> not a good day for it today. No. Uh, okay, so let's start then with what is the genesis of this uh, workshop that you're doing this week? Uh, well, the genesis was that we wanted to provide folks with the knowledge, resources, networking, and collaboration around not only the work that we're doing in innovation, but also around health equity and entrepreneurship. It's like a sort of a three-pronged approach. We want to focus on human-centered design and design thinking, but we also want to make sure we're covering health equity, equity-centered design, design justice, and then give a flavor of entrepreneurship and what that means for some folks to scale an innovation. And so, you know, I think we're leaders in this space. And so as leaders in this space, we've really wanted to do this for a while, just like bring folks in and learn from them and also, you know, talk with them about the work that we're doing. Yeah. How's it been going so far? It's been amazing. It's been amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, personally for me, and I was talking with my colleague, Dr. Pam Caccione, I think it's exceeded our expectations. We spent, have spent a long time planning this, and you never know how these things are going to turn out. And there's a lot of players, like I just listed them all, right? But it's really come together in such a good way. The energy has been amazing. The speakers have been amazing. All of the attendees are engaged and asking questions, and they're fun and funny and smart. I've been having a great time. Well, that's what happens when you get nurses in a room. Right? <laughs> well, and it's not all nurses. Um, there are a lot of folks who run nonprofits, and so it's like nurses and nonprofit leaders and other like entrepreneurial type folks as well. So it's been a nice mix. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, but the nurses are the more fun group. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you talk a little bit about some of the research that you did for your dissertation? Because I know it's oh, super interesting. <laughs> so for those who haven't heard a hundred times already, I uh, defended my dissertation on Thursday. So I'm very excited about that. And I was looking at examining the characteristics that support nurses' innovative innovativeness or innovative behaviors and so including human-centered design and design thinking and how those are being used and so I did a three-paper dissertation. Paper one was an integrative review looking at how human-centered design and design thinking are being used in healthcare by whom and also the different phases of design thinking being used so I have my slides up and I am going to cheat because I'm tired and it's been a long <laughs> week and I can't remember anything anymore. You know, we found, I'll just give you sort of the cliff notes, most nurses are not publishing about the use of human-centered design and design thinking and whether that means they're not using human-centered design or design thinking in their practice or whether it just means they're not publishing about it, we don't really know. I mean, it was just an integrative review. so. If anybody's interested in doing research, it'd be a great uh, research question to uh, look at. But that was paper one. And you know, stop me at any time if you want to like ask more questions or else I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> well, I, I actually do want to ask one, I do want to ask one quick question about that. So do you, in your experience, do you think that nurses are not using it or do you think that they're just not publishing about it and writing about it? That is a great question. I think they're, 
not use. I, I personally think they're probably not using it, mm. but I also think they don't publish as much also. So I think it's probably a combination. And at some point I would like to draw others in and get your opinions on this because you're here and I want to engage you. But yeah, I think what I saw from papers two and three, and I can talk about that in a minute, is that a lot of institutions, so healthcare institutions, are offering innovation type workshops, activities, education to their staff and nurses and employees, but they're not is not as many are offering human-centered design and design thinking workshops, educations, and lectures. And I'd love to learn more about that. Like, what do they see as the difference? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there is a, there is differences, but why calling something innovation makes you offer it, but calling doing something around human-centered design, design thinking, you do it less. So I think they're not using it, and I think I think we know nurses don't publish it enough. Why do you think human-centered design and innovation go together? Well, so human-centered design, well, actually, you all just learned about this. <laughs> Why do you think human-centered design and innovation go together? I think um, in healthcare, in the trenches, we use more traditional methodologies, like we've solved a problem, and it may be innovative and it may not, it might be just kind of getting back on track. And so we use more traditional approaches like, you know, um, performance improvement, plan, do, check, act, or lean methodology, things like that. And I think what we call innovation probably isn't, but I think what's important about, and what I'm learning this week about bringing human-centered design in, is that it's a much more effective way to bring in the community we're trying to solve the problem for. Um, and we say we do shared governance and we get the voice of the nurse, but this the things I've learned in the last two days. This is a much more effective way to do that and have an idea about some research maybe we could do on human-centered design and shared Love governance. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, you know, then we also throw nurses in a room and tell them, you know, share governance, have your voice, but they don't really know how. And I think those things we have to pay attention to. Can you say your name and where you're from? Sure, I'm Peggy Norton Roscoe and I'm the Regional Chief Nursing Officer for Trinity Health, Illinois, and Indiana. Thank you. Do other folks have thoughts about this and would like to share on this podcast? <laughs> that will then go out to everyone. So I think my thought here is we all come up like during times of adversity and some because of the principle of ongoing performance improvement, we all come up with bright ideas. But there are a lot of people who do not know how to translate that bright ideas into something at the bedside or how to implement it. So, and I've seen also like leaders, I've watched them that they have bright ideas and they want to implement, however, the implementation becomes a flop or unsuccessful. So I think what I learned in the last two days is that number one, do not forget why you're having this bright idea and it's because of who's the center of it all, it's our patient. And that's where the empathy comes, you know, comes in. And then what happened to is like, you wanna make sure that you need to acknowledge that I may have the brightest idea of all, but I'm gonna need help. That's what I saw uh, in the last two days, a collaboration of different experts, and some of them are not even nurses, you know, that made innovations happen, you know, and then led to successful implementation of great programs. This is Sally Francisco. I'm the Deputy Chief Nurse in James J. Peters Veterans Administration in Bronx, New York.
Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, innovation is this, like, buzzword that everybody throws around. Human-centered design is a methodology that allows you to be innovative in a systematic way. It's not the only methodology. It's not the only way to do innovative things, but it's one way that we've really found is useful. That's great. Yeah. That's a good answer. Thanks. I've been practicing <laughs> for years. <laughs> So continue. Okay, so that was paper one. <laughs> so paper two was determining the innovativeness of nurses who engage in activities that encourage innovative behaviors. And what we uh, classified as innovative behaviors were the use of design thinking and human-centered design for the most part. So for paper two, the specific aims were, one, we wanted to validate the scale we were using. So I used the scales for the measurement of innovativeness. Uh, so we wanted to validate that in our population of nurses who were engaging in innovative behaviors and then measure their innovativeness using that scale. So we measured the innovativeness of nurses engaging in innovative behaviors to understand the overall innova innovativeness of that population. And then for paper three, we looked at how that the innovativeness of our nurses compared with the diffusion of innovation theory. Uh, so for those who know or may not know diffusion of innovation theory, that's sort of that um, bell curve of innovator, early adopter, late adopter, early majority lagger. So we looked at how our sample compared with that, and then we created a phenotype and taxonomy of nurse innovators through a um, latent class analysis See, now I'm getting into the statistics. We did a exploratory analysis in paper two, and then using the data from paper two of that exploratory factor analysis, we did a latent class analysis to create the phenotype and taxonomy. This is why I didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and found all sorts of cool things, but questions? like When I'm interviewing somebody, I hate when they talk and they talk and they talk, and I can't get a question in. No, no, it's my favorite thing. Yeah. yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. I'll stop you. I'll stop you. Come on, you know better. Um, so I guess you want to know what we found. I do. <laughs> so we found that the scales for the measurement of innovativeness was valid in our population, mm -hmm. and the total innovativeness scores, so the scale ranged from 0 to 140, and uh, it we came up with that scale because it is a 20 question seven point Likert scale and so 20 times 7 is 140 and so our sample had a mean innovativeness score of 120 out of 140 and we found that the higher innovativeness scores were associated with whether respondents institutions and for all of you nurse leaders here this is really important if the respondents institutions offered human-centered design education lectures resources and workshops as well as an innovation lectures or workshops. And so we also found that, so we also found that the more innovation events a respondent participated in, the higher their innovativeness score also. And there were other things related to that, but really the takeaway from paper two was that engagement in support of offering of an attendance at human-centered design and design thinking, as well as innovation workshops, lectures, activities, etc., is associated with nurses having a higher innovativeness score. So the point here is we really want institutions 
to support and encourage nurses doing these things. And I really want schools of nursing to encourage and offer these things too so that we can have future nurses already exposed to these things. Mm. And so when they go out into the workforce, they're already more innovative than they would have been otherwise. Yes, and they're just building upon what they are learning in undergrad. Yes. And taking it from undergrad to master's to doctoral. Yeah, it it should really go um, across the spectrum, right? Starting Mm. in undergrad all the way through to doctoral level and and throughout so that we're building on exposure early during undergrad and then all the way through the educational process. It's mm-hmm. not a one and done sort of thing. I would imagine not. Yeah. yeah. I would think that the more practice that you had, the better off that it would be. Yeah, more practice, more exposure, um, more, more of it all, yeah. So do you see this as something that would be separate or something that's integrated into nursing curriculum? No, I mean, I really think it should be integrated. And I would love feedback from the audience. I see them all vigorously nodding. Uh So come, speak with us. Yeah, yeah, come forward by all means. But yeah, I mean, I think it can't be separate. We have all these things in nursing that we want to be the foundation. And if we want innovation to be a foundation of that too, it can't be this like separate thing that some people do and it's not integrated into the the core curriculum of what we do. Correct. And and I think we've we've talked about this a lot with our cohort today because we look across the generations. So I was trained as a diploma nurse, mm-hmm. my, my initial foundation. Great clinical foundation, went on to my baccalaureate. And we always look at that global, the new nursing program and how does it take pieces of our past that was such an essential part to who we've become today as leaders and how do we create the new curriculum. So when you think about innovative design theory, starting at the baccalaureate level, then you give it to us. So when we get these new nurses um, at the bedside and into the clinical setting where we need that innovation to constantly happen, they've got their foundation. So from an academic standpoint, yes, it should carry through BSN, MSN, into doc, um, you know, your doctoral theory work. Uh, as a nurse leader at, at the grassroots level in the healthcare institution, it's so essential for us to drive those small tests of innovative change um, in the clinical environment, in the, the, um, the hospital environment, the organizational environment, and it's not limited to just nursing. This should really, these, these principles apply across the board so that together as a system, together as a collaborative, breaking down those silos, we come together as a team to drive yes. change with the patient, the, the users, the stakeholders as our central focus. So as a pediatric nurse who, grow, <laughs> who was grounded in family-centered um, principles, this just aligns so nicely. So it's, an ama- it's been an amazing two days already, but keep going. You are just an amazing, your doctoral work is, is amazing, but Thank you. how do we get this now to to the hospitals in the facilities across the country? That's that what you're all here yeah, for. Yeah, that aren't, that aren't, we don't have, part of my, my story of telling of getting into this uh, fellowship was, we're a small shop. We've got a lot of passion and a lot of ideas, but we don't have the researchers. We don't have the financial budgetary planners, we don't have the resources to help us design it. 
So that's what Kara and I are hoping to gain here today. You know, when we talk with our counterparts from Hawaii and Washington State, we all have the same passion, but just such different constraints or different barriers or different obstacles that we need to work through. So it's been an amazing two days already. So thank you. Jill Wagner, Chief Nurse, Blythdale Children's Hospital, Westchester, New York. Thank, thank you. Thank you. So uh, I want to do two things. I want to say what the Johnson Johnson Nurse Innovation Fellowship Program is, but then I also want to talk to your point about it's not just like nursing schools and organizations, because one of the things that we found was that there are correlates of innovative behavior, and those start with both individual characteristics and organizational characteristics. And so if we want someone to be more innovative, we need to focus on both of those things, not just one of those things. And that's where I think the education comes into play, but also the organizational support. So the Johnson & Johnson Nurse Innovation Fellowship Program is a one-year fellowship for chief nursing officers and senior nurse leaders to learn about human-centered design, design thinking, and innovation methodologies through a structured program of both in-person learning and then virtual sessions where they come together and they're working through the human-centered design process on a real health or healthcare problem that is important to them and their organizations. And so we started out with a kickoff event in June, just to sort of meet everyone. And then this week for the Summer Innovation Institute is really the first in-person learning session that they've had. So this five-day sort of intensive. And then we're going to do three virtual sessions over the course of this year where they're going to be back at their institutions working through the human-centered design process with a team of people, not just these two nurse leaders. Um, I don't think I said that, but we've selected two nurse leaders from 10 institutions from across the US. And then they're going to put together teams to work through the process with them, join in on these virtual sessions where we'll work through the design thinking process with them. Um, along with, we partnered with the Wharton School. Mm -hmm. So it's Penn Nursing and the Wharton School. And Wharton's going to be teaching them all these different business acumen skills to go along with the human-centered design and design thinking skills. So we'll do these three virtual sessions, which are two-day back-to-back sessions. And then we have it, our final two-day in-person event at Johnson Johnson's headquarters in May of 2024, where we're going to get the like hangout again, and they're going to do pitches about what their final project and solution was. That's a really, really cool program. It is a super cool program, and I'm so thankful to Johnson & Johnson for supporting it. Johnson mm. & Johnson is just a fabulous, committed partner to nurses, and they've been for a really <coughs> long time, and I am so thankful that they chose us to work with them on this project because I think it's going to make a big difference. I've done a lot of work with nurses and innovation, and there's a lot of individual nurses, clinicians who want to do these things, but we really need the senior nurse leaders, chief nursing officers at the top supporting this as well, mm -hmm. so that it's sort of a top-down and bottom-up approach. Mm -hmm. um, because just bottom-up approach doesn't really work so well. You can disagree with me, but I've heard from other nurses that we really do need the support of senior nurse leaders to be able to move things forward at institutions. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I think that's an incredible way to go about it. And I think that you're absolutely right. If you don't have support from the top of the pyramid, then nothing is really going to move forward and, and really happen. And I think that also learning a human-centered approach, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or let me know what you think about this, but I would think that as a nurse leader, I know that my own learning and doing like your beta testing website and that kind of stuff has had a profound effect in how I manage the students. So I can only imagine how having that focus and understanding how to interact with that human-centered design, how it also plays with how you interact with your staff, you know, and the, the broad staff that is under you, not just direct reports, but how that goes. And also how inspirational it can be when you have a leader at the top who really understands what's happening, who's really empathetic to the, to the staff that are working for them and is really trying to work through problems and make it not a miserable experience for everybody. Yes, I have so many responses to what you just said that I don't even remember my responses now. <laughs> <laughs> so first I just wanna thank all of the nurse leaders who took the time to apply for this program and are taking the time out of their incredibly, I would imagine, busy schedules to come here and do this and learn this. And then, you know, one of the things we really want from this program is for the for you all to go back and spread the wealth, share the good the good gospel of human centered <laughs> design and innovation back at your institutions because of exactly what you said. Like we need that leadership and that support of these things infusing throughout all of these different organizations. And so I really, again, I'm just so thankful that you all are, are doing this and leading the way in this area. Did that answer your question? Yeah, kind of. Great. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> all right, so let's open it up to the room. Does anyone have any questions, comments? experiences you want to share? You've been talking about this uh, model as it approaches, as it applies to hospital-based uh, nursing, and I'm wondering you know, what your experience or what you think about applying it at a community level. Oh, it's, yes, yeah, it, say your name and where you're from, please. Sure, my name's Andrea Vittori, I'm a nurse practitioner and I run um, a program called Sanctuary Farm in Philadelphia. Before I answer your question, I'd love for you to tell us more about Sanctuary Farm because what I heard of it out there was super cool and everybody needs to know about it. Yes, thanks. So Sanctuary Farm, we are we're a little different type of farm. Um, again, I'm a nurse practitioner and so we set up shop in a, a section of North Philadelphia that unfortunately shares a disproportionate effect of um, poor health outcomes. And so our, our goal is really to um, help reduce some of the health inequities that we're seeing in our community. And we do that through community-based farming and gardening. And so we, have, we turn uh, abandoned lots into um, gardens, uh, we grow vegetables, we make the space um, hospitable, friendly, nice, beautiful, so that people feel welcome and they feel um, better about the community that they live in. So we're looking at sort of health on a holistic perspective, you know, starting with where people are living and teaching nutrition classes, doing therapeutic gardening, and um, so. Thank you yeah. for that. Yeah, thank you. So to answer your question, human-centered design is a really a way of 
thinking. It's a way of doing. It's not specific to one setting. It's really a mindset. And so, you know, I say, sort of define innovation as it's not like a technology or a widget. It's really the methodologies that we use to solve problems. And that methodology is and can be the human-centered design and design thinking methodology. So when we're teaching this, we're really teaching both a methodology but also a mindset. So I teach a class at Penn called Innovation in Health Foundations of Design Thinking. And it's, a, it's based out of the School of Nursing but open to students across Penn's campus. And I constantly hear from my clinician students, so it's undergrad and graduate. So I constantly hear from my graduate students who are working but going to school as well that when they leave the class and they go and they practice back at whatever hospital or institution they're at, they've already started thinking differently because they know about the human-centered design process. And so even halfway through the class, they're using what they've learned back at their clinical job or at the bedside to think differently about their patient needs and the things that they're working on. So I think it's to your question, it's not specific to any sort of location or type of profession. It's not specific to nursing at all. Human-centered design came from the designers and engineers have been using it, business folks use it. It's sort of a thing that most people are using now. And so it can be applied almost anywhere. Again, it's a mindset and a methodology. Any, any other questions? Yes, come on forward. Hi, I'm Dawn Vollers, and I'm the Regional Director for Professional Practice and Development from Loyola University. And so my, I have a lot of questions, but I think the one I'm going to ask right now is what I hear tonight and so far is um, I'm sold. I was sold bought <laughs> decades ago and have been Love trying it. to get to this place. But I still am perplexed by the paradigm shift that I believe has to happen in order for this to become part of healthcare and nursing. And so my twofold question is, what would you say to a skeptic? Because I, I'm a believer. So how do we sell this to the skeptics back at our organizations? And then also how then, uh, I also hear this more as a, my lens is I'm hearing it from a population perspective and not so much like the individual medicine solution like you know a patient comes in I fix their individual problem human-centered design seems more like it's a, at a population or more and I'll want to know your thoughts but so can you speak to both of those things Yes, I'm going to speak to your second question first. And then, Pam, I want people to hear more from you. So if you have, so Pam has co-taught the class that I teach with me. She is an expert in human-centered design, uses it in her work, and I don't think you've heard enough from her this week. So I would love for you to potentially answer that first question. But to your second question, it can be individual. I think mostly because what you're all focusing on seems to be population level. That's why we're focusing on population level this week. But it absolutely could be individual level. Though, is there a problem in healthcare that's just one individual and at an individual level? Usually not. Usually you need to scale that to the population. But it absolutely can be. But we, I can get more into that. So the empathy phase is really important. And to answer your skeptic question, I think 
what um, Marion's um, dissertation showed is that providing people opportunity to practice these skills and support and having successes breeds more success. And allowing, one of the things that her dissertation, which she hasn't gotten to yet, is that having a little bit of time off taking care of patients to work on an idea that might be, instead of just being a one-off workaround that could be lead to systemic change is really important. To build on Pam's response about the skeptics, like what I've seen now multiple times, like doing hackathons and innovation accelerators, which Pam was one of our winners from years ago, it's really difficult for people to understand what innovation is because it's such a buzzword now that unless you engage in it and really feel the power of it and the excitement and what you can do innovating, it's hard to get people to buy in. And so it's sort of this rock and hard place. You need people to engage and come to hackathons and participate in fellowships and accelerators about innovation but it's hard to get them to do that because they don't know the power of it until they do it. Again, thank you for taking the chance and doing this and learning about this. And hopefully over this next, these five days and this next year, you too will be an evangelist for nurses engaging in innovation. I said this today, like before I did that hackathon however many years ago now. I had no idea what innovation was. I didn't know nurses could do these things. But the second I participated in that hackathon, I was like, oh my God, every nurse should be doing this, should be engaging in this. And for years I was begging Penn Nursing to like hire me, <laughs> let me help you do this. And finally, like the, the, the stars Every, aligned. The star, thank you. <laughs> the stars aligned and it happened and it's been an amazing journey to be able to do all of these cool things in this space. Yeah. And I think too, I, I know that some of the criticism that I've heard is that, you know, we have a shortage. We have a body shortage. We don't have people at the bedside to take care of patients. And I think it's a really short-sighted way to look at it because if you engage people, you give them a little bit of a reprieve away from the bedside, you don't burn them out and they don't leave because now they're invested. And they are, you know, utility and autonomy are two of the most important things that we can do as human beings. So when you give nurses utility, you give them a use, you give them autonomy, you give them the means to do it, you give them a purpose, they don't want to leave the bedside. And when you have that opportunity, and, and I feel like this human-centered design thinking and, and allowing them to have so much autonomy in how their units are run, how they take care of their patients, you're just really, the long game is investing in that staff to have them invest in your institution and in the patients they're taking care of. Yes, and I didn't really talk about it in my dissertation presentation, but I did include it in the dissertation paper the more satisfied nurses were at their organizations, the more innovative they were. And so we also, and I see this, I talk to nurses all the time who, if their institutions support them being innovative, they are excited and engaged and wanna stay there and do the work 
but they need to be able to do the work. They need to be able to leave the bedside, to go to these workshops, to participate in hackathons, to do these things that aren't direct patient care, but like you said, will eventually lead to better patient care, retention, etc. So I, I totally agree. I didn't write it in the um, dissertation this way, but I do think restricting nurses from doing these things is short-sighted. Now I will say, I'm not a clinician. I don't work at the bedside. I'm not a nurse leader. I have no idea what struggles you all are dealing with. So it's easy for me to sit here and say that. But I talk to a lot of nurses who are begging for support from nurse leaders to understand and allow them to do these things. So I want to thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. I've learned so much from all of you in what you're bringing to this and you know of course from Marion this is something that we talk about all the time you should hear our outtakes I know and I keep saying <laughs> we need to put together an outtakes reel yeah. we're real funny yeah <laughs> hilarious um, so you know we really appreciate all of you participating in this and you know I think uh, we, we did say it earlier but I think the fact that you know all of you are leaders in your in your institutions in your professions it says so much about what you want to invest in the people that you're working with that you're here at something like this. So I, I really appreciate that. I really appreciate all the research that you did. And Thanks, I think friend. it's fantastic. And I hope everyone gets to read it. I appreciate that. And I'm just going to, because I can, I couldn't have done this without all of my friends, my colleagues, my family, everyone who supported me over the last five years. So I have to always give them a shout out because there's no possible way I would have been able to do it. All right. All right. Thank you all. Thanks for coming. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. With special thanks to Jonathan Zhu for his assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can do us a solid, please rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.